We have it pretty damn good as fans these days. I side with Tommy on this issue of commentary being better than it ever has been before, and there's just an incredibly high level that just keeps raising the bar year over year sport-wide. More leagues around the world pumping out great fights, and no matter how bad the outside world can sometimes be like it was in 2020, well, MMA was always there for us. But nothing is ever perfect, and as a fan, it's hard not to root for things to continually grow and improve. And in these cases, rewinding the clock actually sounds pretty damn good. I love you. <laughs> he didn't say it! He didn't say it! Hey. I'm Jason from MMA On Point, and I've got 10 things here that I'd like to see the UFC bring back. Number 10, custom attire. This is one everybody knew we'd have to talk about. Classically, from the very beginning of bringing in one monolithic clothing sponsor, you'd heard guys like Schaub. Oh yeah, he did used to fight, didn't he? Uh, right. If it's good for the UFC, it's good for Brendan Schaub. Okay. Cool. Or Vitor Belfort, who literally lost millions due to the removal of individual sponsors. To be fair, having some sort of uniformity does in many ways beat the Condom Depot sponsors, but lately the UFC has started working with Trojan, so I guess you can't even really claim that anymore. Either way, how great was it when Tito wore his flame trunks versus Chuck's Iceman shorts? There's no reason why Reebok couldn't have done that with their branding prominently featured on it, or now with Venom. And you can't tell me that kind of stuff wouldn't sell better. You'd sell way more merch. It's just so much more iconic, it gives people individuality, and to be fair, people do like to blame the attire sponsors for this, but I really think it's down to the UFC. They structure these deals for what they want. And you could still even have designated spots for individual fighter sponsors as well like Nganu has suggested so that fighters can at least gain a bit of that cash back. There are so many obvious profitable ways that make individuality work for everyone involved. Number nine, head-to-head -head interviews. It's probably a pretty awkward thing to sit in the middle of two of the best trained fighters on the planet while they're actively arguing. Have you ever taken those pills, the laxative pills, and you wait for 20 minutes to go to the toilet and they go through you? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go through this man. Bit of a weird analogy. <laughs> or in the case of DC and Jones, being, quote, prepared to die in the octagon. This is my life, and I'm willing to die to beat you. Because as I've said many times, you don't deserve this. Or in the case of Cruz and Dillashaw, you'd just see Cruz absolutely berate TJ for three minutes straight. All right, man, I'm done talking to you. You can't be done talking to me. You're right here facing <laughs> me, dummy. I'm you gotta talk to me. But there's no denying it isn't one of the most entertaining interview concepts ever put together. There's a reason boxing has used this forever, even for the shittier YouTube fights. Press conferences to an extent are just a bigger version of this with a crowd to give its own twist. Every once in a while we'll still get the talk show confrontations like we did with Aldo and McGregor, but you don't really see it that much in 2022. And of course in the Aldo McGregor case the touching made things a little more tense than I think the UFC wanted. Either way it's one of the most simple ideas. It makes you way more hyped for a fight, and I would personally love to see it become more of a staple for every pay-per-view. Number eight, tournaments. All right, let me preface this a bit. I don't actually mean the one-night tournaments. As epic as the old UFC ones were, and the Pride ones as well, you still had guys like Fujita throwing the towel against Mark Coleman, so he got a bye in the tournament, while Igor Vochanchin had a grueling decision with Sakuraba just before that. So for the finals, it wasn't really that fair. Don't get me wrong, it's super epic, and I think a lot of people 
still love this format. It's just not what I actually have in mind. What I'd personally love to see more is tournaments that are much more like what Bellator is doing now, where it takes place over a few months and a title is on the line every time the champion fights. There's no point just letting the fighter prepare properly, like they actually have a real fight camp, and let the best style win. And I don't mean any Ultimate Fighter tournaments either. Those are really crammed in a house. They're fighting every two weeks. It's just not really the best environment for a tournament. And the UFC used to do this back in the day. With DJ winning his belt the first time, they did a mini tournament to crown their first flyweight champion. And they did it with all kinds of divisions, like when heavyweight had couture leave, so they did one there, or at lightweight. It adds stakes to every fight, gives it a little bit more intrigue, and when done right, it elevates the entire division. Not to mention the rule they implemented with a sudden death round in the flyweight tournament is a really, really good idea. Unfortunately, those damn judges couldn't do math correctly, though. Either way, I'd love to see this idea come back. Number seven, Ariel Hawani interviews. Can I just say how much I miss event interviews with this guy? This used to be essential viewing for every event. There are no weird questions about what Rocky star that Rocky Edwards would like to call Usman. No insanely biased questions from that weird pink suit guy, or no luchador questions mistakenly aimed at Ecuadorian fighters. Personally, this is something I used to do after every single event, catch those post-fight press conferences, and then eagerly await the main event winners being asked some fantastic questions. Why the hell are you wearing those ugly ass shoes with this suit? The questions were more targeted and focused, and you felt like you had a more solid forecast of what was coming next from the organization. If all of you have seen are those really poorly put together videos of Ariel being shit on by Dana with all the lack of context in the world, you really need to go back and actually watch those interviews. Well, I don't give a shit what Ariel Hawani thinks. Fair enough. Who the fuck is Ariel Hawani? I'll take it any day over the shitty cartoony stuff. And don't get me wrong, you still got Dana doing his scrums and there's still great questions asked by a lot of the media there. Those actually used to run a lot longer back in the day. And to be honest, as much as I like the Caroline Pierces, the Megan O'Leavies, the Adam Catterall's at all, those people work for the UFC either directly or for them through their partners. They don't ask the hard questions like we used to get all the time. That wasn't a yes or no answer, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope so. <laughs> Neither was that. BT Sport and ESPN are there to serve the UFC. It is obviously not in their interest to ask tough questions. That, that'll just get them in trouble. And this is no disrespect for them. They're doing their job. I just want to hear questions without sugarcoats like Ariel used to do. I liked the tension in the interviews. I liked the fact that he would piss Dane off. You mentioned your... So you might want to interview them and ask them about that. You know, I would love to. They haven't the wanted to talk. Thinks, you know, I lie and I'm talking, you know, talk to them see what they have to say about it. I think the UFC should bring this back, but we all know they're definitely not going to bring it back. Number six, UFC tonight. All right, time for a more fun one. While they didn't do it every week, this show was a really fun show to watch for a million reasons. Who could forget Connor Snake in the Grass confrontation on the set with Uriah Faber? You shouldn't be letting him in your because he's a snake in the grass, and I told you that for your face. This big Joel impression. I love you, mate! I love you, mate! Let's fight right now! I'm a king, man! Hey, I love you! The punch machine. DC telling Rockhold that he loved him. Cruz mercilessly grilling the shit out of Ultimate Fighter contestants. So it's the raps, the he, ref, I and everybody it. but no, you. No, 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 no. In the Who's backstage. Fault is it? Yeah. Whose fault is the loss? It was my fault. 
Okay. I'm gonna put it, it on. It was just a great show to watch with a ton of memorable moments. Even our own Tommy Told had a segment on the show. Not to mention, this was also the introduction to a lot of future commentators before they ever worked behind the booth. Cruz, Bisbing, and DC all got their start this way, and it was kind of a testing ground to see who might work on commentary. Not to mention, it was still a great place for crossover appeal, as well with people from different sports or even TV shows to fill it all out. This one makes the most sense for me. I think ESPN is honestly a better platform than Fox ever was, and it's easily the most achievable on this list to do. Number five, post-fight press conferences. So, I get why they do post-fight scrums. If you're not the most entertaining fighter to get asked questions, a lot of times they just might not actually get one. Even in pre-fight pressers, I'm pretty sure Marab literally got one question the entire presser before fighting Aldo. So I think it's a good thing to try and correct. But if I'm honest, some of those people who don't really have a ton to say at the press conference just end up saying the same thing throughout all their post-fight interviews. But the best part by far is the interaction between the fighters. Single-handedly, the Rockhold versus Bisbing 2 post-fight presser is a good enough reason to justify this coming back altogether. It was far more entertaining. How's that jet lag? You enjoy it, your short-lived destiny, my friend. All right, yeah, yeah, it is my destiny. Mark my words. It is my destiny, not your destiny. Or how about watching Peña Cala Amanda Nunes right after she won the championship at UFC 200 for the post-fight presser five years before Peña would actually take the belt? Or way back further when Tito and Dana were arguing after UFC 84. No, I'm going to make you a super Superstar. No, you're the one that wants to be a superstar. Oh. These guys want to be fighters. That's yeah. the difference. Okay. There's so many great moments, but one of the bigger things is just time. You're going to need a bigger time. If you're on the East Coast, fights can end around 2 a.m., 1 a.m. Central, and so forth. Europe obviously gets it much earlier in the morning. A lot of times it's ending for me at 6 a.m. here in the UK. And that's just when the fights end. These scrums can drag on things for another three more hours. You end up watching a lot of it actually the next day. I was there for Jones's post-fight scrum after the Reyes fight. The pants are incredibly tight. <laughs> and he took like an hour to come back. We literally left at like 5 a.m. because he came back so late and this was in Central Time U.S. We were in Texas. A presser is just way more concise, taking less than an hour. It's more entertaining and a better watch in my opinion. And if you want to hear from those individual fighters, they'll have plenty of one-on-one -on -one interviews. It's fine. Number four, Fight Pass shows. Let's give Fight Pass some credit here. They do a boatload of live events there now and every week they're stacked with content. When it first started though, it was basically just a fight library. And as someone who does research fights all day with a team coming up with content based on it, believe me, we probably use it here more than anyone outside of the Kaposa types that somehow don't miss any card ever. Cheap plug to his show with us, by the way. But compared with other platforms, Fight Pass in the beginning was really just light on original content. And one of the things that they used to do to supplement this was Fight Pass exclusive cards. Not just the prelims, I'm talking the whole card. Which for one meant the pacing was amazing because you didn't have a ton of commercials and TV times to abide by. But again, it was just more bang for your buck. Bing, bang, boom. And they were actually really great cards the few times they did it. Brandau versus McGregor, a title matchup with Yoana and Penay, or how about a Legends fight with Bisbing and Silva? It just made the platform feel much more filled out, and especially if you are on the more casual side, I'm sure you probably just prefer to do ESPN. Why have both apps? I'm not the biggest WWE fan here in 2022, but they do stream everything on there for the exact same price. And for the UFC, I do think that there is an actual business upside here, meaning way more signups for their platform, especially when you have that casual audience buy-in. 
Prelims are one thing, but big names on a main card? Well, that's something completely different. Number three, live scoring commentary. This almost feels like an ancient relic by now, but you all know this Eddie Bravo guy, right? One of Rogan's best friends ever, his BJJ career, Aliens. Well, way back in the day, he used to have more of a buttoned-up role in the sport. A commentator for Pride and then an analyst for the UFC. And one of the things he used to do in between rounds was give an unofficial scorecard. This is something very typical in boxing, and of course commentators will anecdotally score the rounds. The twist on this, I would like to add, if ever possible is not just to have a current or ex-fighter doing the scoring, nor a media member or alternate commentator for that matter, but some sort of actual judge or commissioner doing it. We used to hear from a UFC exec and former Nevada State Athletic Commissioner and Mark Ratner quite often, but to get inside the head of, for instance, an off-duty judge, they could bring in and illustrate what they see and at least provide a window into what many judges may be looking for when commentary isn't in their ear, nor all the production bells and whistles that help us. There is a bit of groupthink that I think happens on social media because you'll get your takes corrected by other people and you realize you're wrong. It's happened to me plenty of times. I think it'd just be really good to hear from a judge, but we never hear from them. If there's something wrong with you, that's my judgment. Goodbye. It's very rare to see an interview from them. So why not? Let's give it a shot. They used to do it anyway. Number two, standout shows. One thing that has honestly gotten quite stale over the years is, well, the same old, same old. Every week, the broadcast looks exactly the same as the last. And of course, there are things to avoid. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. If there is a random Halloween skeleton, for instance, in the background of a KO you were watching 10 years ago because it just so happened to take place on Halloween, well, that's really distracting to watch. It'd be hilariously amusing for all the wrong reasons. But there are so many little things that could be implemented in between fights or in the broadcast booth. A really great example of this was the anniversary show that they did a couple years back in Denver where the logo was replaced with a classic one. Hey, that's pretty good. It was really tasteful and it made the show actually stand out and feel different? Or how about UFC 189 with the live performances during walkouts? How come they haven't tried that again? For their Big Ten shows, I think they should. These things increase the tense moments and allow the atmosphere in the arena to build. And of course, it's all about the fighting at the end of the day, and as with many things on this list, we're nitpicking a bit, but yeah, a bit of variety goes a really long way here. Number one, old weigh-ins. So to quickly support why there is a set of early official weigh-ins and then a ceremonial set of weigh-ins in the first place, I think the logic here makes sense. You give fighter more time to rehydrate, so by fight night, the risk of injury potentially due to being compromised goes down. It's very well-intentioned. But believe it or not, the only studies that I've actually found show more weight misses with early weigh-ins than with the old system. The health benefits could still be there, but it's difficult to determine any tangible benefits. I mean, how do you measure something like that? I guess the worry that I have more than anything is that on top of the numbers showing that it might actually mean more weight misses, is that it could just be placating the problem by giving those that cut a ton more time to rehydrate and to get more oversized by fight night, which means that some fighters may want to cut even more knowing they'll have all this extra time. And on top of all that, there is virtually no point at all to a ceremonial weigh-in. I almost never watch them. 
I'll just catch the stare downs on Twitter. What I really like about the old Wayans and the way that they worked is that it had very real stakes. As a viewer or even one of the fighters there, you don't know what's going to happen. It would change betting lines significantly. Fighters would get into arguments. This stuff actually affects the fight as well. It affects their mind, their head state. If a fighter has a bad weight cut, they have to look their opponent in the eye when they miss. Or even Dana. I'll never forget the scowl that Lorenzo Fertitta briefly gave Anthony Johnson when he missed at 185. And as a fan, that makes for much better viewing, but also avoid potentially supporting the problem like the current weigh-ins do. I'd like to give a big shout out on a Friday to the big boopy, my friend, little Lukey. He's such a good guy. Thank to him for editing the movie. Guys, I'm really sorry about that. It's a Friday. We're about to leave. It's the end of the day. I just need to do this shout out. I'm making it too long. I'm out of here. Luke Taylor, follow him on Twitter. And then of course, Ben Rosette for making some lovely music. He's seriously one of my favorite artists out there. Give him some support and click that link in the description. And then also just want to give a big shout out to you all for watching this. Really appreciate you guys. You know how much it helps us when you like and subscribe, so please do so if you get a chance. Let me know what you thought about the video. I definitely put out some opinions on this one. We'll see how you react, so comment below and we'll chat a little later on about it. Peace out.